wishing you a happy holiday of your choice. VegCast. I'm Vance. I'll be your host for this special holiday version of VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. And we do indeed have a lot coming at you for this overstuffed full menu holiday version of VegCast. Including news about podjacking from Eric Marcus. News that Adam Curry and his daily source code has played our promo. And news about the Philadelphia restaurant scene, as promised last time. Uh, We also have a live remote from San Jose from our correspondent Vance. And we have two different uh, musical numbers coming from two different sources. One from Summerfest this summer and another from the Christmas stylings of Bon Humbugs. And our feature interview this time around is Richard Schwartz, the author of Judaism and vegetarianism. So keep it right here for the rest of VegCast. VegCast. Okay, let's start off with the podcasting news. News about the state of vegetarian podcasting. Uh, This time we have two items. The first is about Eric Marcus, whom you may recall. We pointed you to his Eric's Diner back on VegCast number one. Uh, Well, uh, he's in the news now as the victim of podjacking, which is when someone takes your RSS feed and alters it slightly so that it points to their own site before delivering subscribers to your podcast and uh, then spams different directories so that uh, people who sign up for your podcast actually are going to the podjacker's site unknowingly before getting to your podcast. And then at some point, the podjacker is able to extort the original podcaster uh, by holding that version of the feed for ransom. Uh, It may be a little technical, but it is an interesting uh, development, uh, which Eric Marcus and Vegan.com are getting a lot of publicity for. So if nothing else, it is good in so far as uh, it is driving some traffic uh, towards Eric's Diner and uh, giving people a chance to check that out. But it is not good in that it points to a uh, problem with RSS feeds, which may need to be examined and corrected in that some people are saying there should be some kind of verification code within the RSS feed itself that authenticates that this is the actual feed code for the actual podcast. Uh, It seems that uh, when the original specification was written, nobody thought that that would be a problem. But now that podcasting is becoming popular, as always, people are coming up with a way to game the system, and we'll see how that turns out. Uh, In other Uh, Vegetarian podcasting news. One of the original objectives of VegCast was realized when Adam Curry played our promo for VegCast on daily source code number 286. That is, he played part of our promo. He got to about halfway through and then said, Dude, three-minute promo? That's a bit much. And cut it off. Ow! Uh, and we're putting up the whole promo. If you want to hear it, you can go to VegCast.com and hear how the entire promo goes. Um, Adam uh, apparently thought the promo was a little long, which, of course, it is, because I was trying to get across the idea of the full menu, uh, something that just had so many different things going on that you couldn't uh, just reduce it to one or two things. But uh, Adam apparently felt that was too much, even though on that same show he played a longer promo. And on the next show he played a promo that went on and on and on. But uh, unlike the VegCast promo, it uh, prominently featured uh, several instances of slang terms for genitalia. Uh, Specifically, Adam Curry's genitalia, at least as he constantly speculated. So, uh, we know what to do, and we're working on our next promo. 
<laughs> making use of this new information, so stay tuned on that. But at any rate, let's get on to our first musical number. Uh, this is from Summerfest from uh, this past summer. Uh, it's a song called Reggie the Veggie, which uh, Kyle Vincent, you may recall from an earlier VegCast, he wrote this in conjunction with many of the children who were attending Summerfest, and they performed it. This is a live performance, so it may sound like a live performance. I encourage you, however, to uh, head on over to Kyle Vincent's site to pick up some of his excellent CDs that have fine production values that sound very little like this, but... This piece is a great example of collaborative effort uh, with Kyle and the kids uh, coming up with something for Summerfest. And so here we have Reggie the Veggie. This is the story Reggie the Veggie lived on an island called Pickles of Bud. Vincent with the Kids of Summerfest uh, performing Reggie the Veggie. And also at this past Summerfest, Richard Schwartz was voted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. And he is our featured interview up next. I thought for this holiday edition, I thought it might be worthwhile to talk to somebody who had a perspective on the whole holiday season, not just the Christmas season, but the season in which we are supposedly uh, reaching out across different boundaries to our fellow man, our fellow woman, and so forth, uh, to try to do good works, to try to create some good in the world. And this is certainly something that Richard Schwartz is an expert in. And so we will go right now to our interview with Richard Schwartz. All right, now we are talking with Richard Schwartz, the author of Judaism and Vegetarianism and the president of Jewish Vegetarians of North America. Uh, Richard Schwartz, welcome to VegCast, and thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on. Well, thank you. And uh, we're talking uh, specifically at... This time of the year, the holiday season, 
when we are encouraged to love our fellow man and so forth and peace, you know, extend peace to all people. Uh, and this is something that um, you have worked a lot within Judaism, but you also have worked uh, kind of across uh, different faiths. Can you, can you tell us a little about that? Right, because I believe every religion is really based on compassion. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's a natural fit with vegetarianism. And, and part of the work I do is that I'm coordinator with a relatively new group called the Society of Ethical and Religious Vegetarians, or SERV, short. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is a group that is Christians and Muslims. You know, we try to have all the different religions. You know, we thought that would give more impact uh, in terms of getting some media attention, etc. But uh, I definitely feel strongly that, uh, you know, with all the critical problems facing the world, there's definitely a need to move to vegetarianism. And uh, I'm trying to work, uh, as you say, largely in Judaism, but also trying to encourage people of other religions to also uh, look into the reasons why vegetarianism is really consistent with their religions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it does seem like a natural... Um, a natural kind of fit, vegetarianism and uh, mutual tolerance uh, across different uh, different faiths, uh, especially at this time of year. Um, but it, I, I guess, it's hard not to mention that there is currently a a move afoot uh, by a certain contingent. I say probably a pretty small but very vocal contingent to uh, to fight against that and make this whole season. Uh, supposedly just be uh, about the Christian holiday and the whole, you know what I'm talking about, the whole Bill O'Reilly effect. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, you know, I believe uh, there are, of course, holidays, it just happened this year, 2005, that uh, Christmas and Hanukkah start on the same day. Right. Hanukkah starts on the evening of the 25th. Uh Uh-huh this year. So, and then there's Kwanzaa, there are other holidays and all, so I think there's a need to um, see the value in all these holidays, and also I wish uh, that people who are saying this would really look into it and say, well, what in effect would Jesus say today if they took the real teaching seriously? Mm-hmm. One of the problems is that Christmas and Hanukkah and unfortunately all of our holidays have become so commercialized now and we forget the basic messages. And we may forget that Jesus said, blessed be the merciful. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the kinds of foods and uh, the huge amounts of meats that are eaten at this time of the year, you can see that, uh, you know, people are aware how terribly, of course, animals are treated, what a difference that could be. And it says, of course, Jesus said, blessed be the peacemakers. Right. So that's, uh, you know, not just uh, nationwide, but it's that peace between Christians, Jews, Muslims, and all, because... So the problem today, it's essential that people find common ground and work together to solve problems like global warming, water shortages, species disappearing, and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially speaking of Hanukkah and uh, Christmas uh, kind of coinciding uh, this year, you have done a, a, a wealth of work um uh, that uh, people can find on uh, the website jewishveg.com, which we'll have a link to, uh, where you take a lot of different aspects, uh, uh, at at least of uh, Judaic tradition, and uh, find just for almost any element of it, you, you find a link to vegetarianism. Uh, and it's uh, it kind of adds up after a while to, to a pretty compelling argument. I, I imagine you, you would probably be able to do that I don't know if you've gone to such into such detail for other religions, but I imagine there you could do it uh, probably with a lot of uh, the religious teachings of uh, a different I religion. Encourage others to try to do that to build what I what I've done in the world because I'm not as certainly not as much of an expert in Christianity, but right. I'm happy to say that whereas when my book Judaism and Vegetarianism came out in 1982, and I tried to encourage Christians to build on my case because we do share much of the Bible in terms right. of what uh, often is called, quote-unquote, the Old Testament. 
so I thought a case could be built there in the beginning with some resistance, but in recent years, there's been a wealth of books on Christianity and vegetarianism. There's a very active group, Christian Vegetarian Association, that hands out thousands of pamphlets mm-hmm. uh, on the connection between Christianity and vegetarianism. They've got T-shirts, they've got a website, and a discussion group on it through email and stuff. So things are happening out there, and I'm and actually... Um, one of the groups I'm working with is Buna, Vegetarian Union of North America, and they just agreed to make it a major project this coming year to reach out to all kinds of religious communities because, again, it's, vegetarianism, of course, is a very important personal choice, but I'm seeing it more and more as a societal imperative. Mm. When you think of the 6.4 billion people in the world, but there's 50 billion-plus farmed animals slaughtered every year and the amount of grain that we feed to them and the amount of water we need to irrigate the crops and all and right. connections to global warming. So it's like a societal or global imperative, but I think it's also a religious imperative because uh, every religion has beautiful teachings, but if they're not put into practice, then after a while, the religion becomes a shell of what it should be. You know, people have going through a ritual, but not... Uh, really getting down and saying, how can we apply these values in everyday life, and how can we apply them to heal a really a fractured world out there? Right, and being doing something with every meal that you <laughs> you take is, is a very practical way of applying yeah, your belief system. Corporations, uh, the way we like to, and uh, the government often doesn't go the way we want, but every single meal we can have an impact, and people don't realize the tremendous uh, contributions that animal-based diets make to just about every environmental problem you can think of. Mm-hmm. Far more water, far more energy, far more land, and make a tremendous, tremendous difference. Well, just to pick up on uh, on that uh, in, in the discussion of Hanukkah, one of the most mm-hmm. interesting things in this, I, I don't know that we should read too much into this, but uh, you point out that uh, the ratio of eight days that the oil burned compared to uh, the one day that you might have expected it uh, to burn is that same ratio uh, often given for the, the pounds of grain necessary to produce a pound of beef on a feedlot. And that picks up from uh, the concept that you, uh, you've articulated on this page that um, a lot of what the... the the miracle of Hanukkah is about is about extending uh, the scarce resources. And um, when you when you said when I read that, I was like, "Wow, yeah, that I never really thought about it that way." But that is, you know, vegetarianism is a, a way that kind of does uh, almost miraculously make that possible, which a lot of people, you know, the, the way that they're thinking, they just don't think that these resources can be extended that way. Oh, it's so wasteful. And when you realize it's kind of insanity, we take wonderful grains that are filled with fiber and complex carbohydrates and all kinds of good things, and we cycle them through animals, and we lose 100% of that fiber, This is like 99% of the complex carbohydrates, mm-hmm. and 90% of the protein, because you need so much grain to raise, as you say, one pound of an animal, and then we end up with a product that's high in cholesterol, high in saturated fat, so we're taking a healthy product, converting it into a very unhealthy product, and of course it's not just unhealthy for the individual, but as we said, it's unhealthy for a planet that is threatened so much, you know, there's reports about global warming and tropical rainforests being destroyed and uh, glaciers melting, so many problems out there, and I always say vegetarianism is not the complete answer. We've got to do a lot of other things, but it, it's like uh, in mathematical terms, it's necessary but not sufficient. We've got to do other things too, but it's a very important part of the solution. Right. Well, I just uh, I wanted to turn just a little uh, to the, kind of the, the personal experience angle uh, because another aspect uh, that you bring up uh, in the Hanukkah and vegetarianism pages that Hanukkah represents the triumph of nonconformity. Uh, which, um, as if I could just read uh, from uh, a sentence or two from this, uh, you mentioned that the Maccabees were uh, the Maccabees fought for their inner beliefs rather than conforming to external pressure. They were willing to say, "This I believe, this I stand for, this I am willing to struggle for," 
and today vegetarians uh, represent nonconformity, and we, uh, you know, wind up in a kind of an analogous uh, situation in a way. And I wondered um, if uh, your experience of you know this this holiday season uh, as a Jewish person and ha going through the season where our mainstream culture tends to think of it as just this overwhelming Christian monolith with an occasional, oh, and by the way, there's also this other thing. Mm -hmm. um, if you said it at all, like analogous to how vegetarians in general are, uh, you know, have to go through the you, mainly the Thanksgiving time where there's this imperative to eat. It's like it's a holiday about eating meat and then Oh yeah. Well, I guess you can also eat green beans if you. <laughs> is there is there any analogy there? Or am, I, am I stretching a point too far? Well, there definitely is an analogy there. You know, in, in many ways, vegetarians are nonconformists because we are surrounded not just in Christmas season, but every day. I mean, uh, you can't walk three or four blocks without seeing McDonald's or Burger King and all that. So a society is suffused with meat eating, and of course. And Christmas time, it's all around with the carols and everything and and uh, all of that and all of the shopping and the advertising. So uh, it's a need to be nonconformist in a way. And I was thinking that, uh, of course, to be Jewish in the society is to be a nonconformist. And it's interesting to notice that the word Hebrew actually comes from the Hebrew word Hebrew comes from a root like um, Iver, or, and, which actually means being on the other side. They say that you know, the first Jew, Abraham, was in effect on one side of the river and the entire world was on the other side. Uh -huh. but, you know, everybody was worshiping idols in those days and he was the first one that intuited the idea that it was one God. It wasn't like the sun and the moon and the 101 gods over there. Right. So to be a Jew is to be an unconformist in a way, in a minority in uh, society, mainly uh, Christian in this case, and therefore you sort of have to think a little more deeply and uh, be strong in your beliefs and all. And the same thing with to be a vegetarian, where you're surrounded by the eating of meat, and of course, as you say, Thanksgiving, it's like that turkey is, uh, it's like, how can you come to a Thanksgiving meal and not eat the turkey and all? And right. Same thing with Christmas. Uh, so many of the foods are based on that, and yet it's based on religion. Whereas we say, and Jesus said, "Blessed be the merciful." And uh, you know, there's some controversy: was Jesus vegetarian or not? And I always say, the important thing is what would Jesus say or do today? And it's hard to believe that a person whose life was based on mercy and concern for the poor and the homeless and all that wouldn't. Uh, be appalled by a factory farming right. that treats animals so horrendously, you know, and just uh, puts them in small cages and a chicken can't even raise one wing for their entire life uh, once they reach a certain uh, size anyway. So right. that's, uh, these are some of the thoughts on that anyway. Okay. Um, well, let's, uh, I, I know we're kind of out of time now, but uh, just you're on on this site and in your your books and everything um you've done a great uh deal to um to kind of lay out the case for vegetarianism um and a lot of what i've read of yours anyway uh seems to be focused especially on um talking to a, a jewish audience and saying look here's some things that you may not have considered about what your religion kind of implies and what our religion implies um, and, you know, how you might carry it just another step and you would be at vegetarianism. Um, I'm wondering if, um, just to flip it around, if there are any, uh, you know, t picking up from that kind of the nonconformist thing, if there are any things about... Um, uh, any lessons from Judaism or from uh, that heritage or that history that vegetarians might do well to to learn from, to pick up, to apply? Okay, uh, from basic Jewish teaching. Well, the very first chapter of the Bible, 
chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 29, right. God's first dietary regimen was strictly vegetarian. Right. And this, of course, is consistent with what the modern science is finding, that if you look at our hands, our teeth, our in, in, intestinal systems and all, and uh, even our stomach acids, they're much, much closer to herbivorous animals, vegetarian animals than carnivorous animals. Right. That. Also, according to many of the Jewish scholars, the Messianic period that we yearn for, these other ideal times, it's like the Garden of Eden when people were vegetarians, the Messianic period, another ideal time, it's almost uh, it's kind of symmetry in a way, will also be vegetarian. That's based on the prophecy of Isaiah. He said, you know, it's like a peaceable kingdom. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will dwell with the ox, no one shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. So we've got those teachings, and many more. You know, when the Israelites were in the desert, they were sustained on manna. Right. A vegetarian kind of food, kept them healthy for 40 years, but people always were not satisfied. They cried out for flesh, and according to the book of Numbers in the Bible, very reluctantly, fresh was provided in the form of quail. When the people ran out and you know just started chewing on it, and the uh, <laughs> great plague broke out, right. where that occurred was called the graves of lust. So there are these many lessons and as powerful teachings about compassion for animals. You know, in Psalms it says God's mercies are over all of His creatures. Book of Proverbs said the righteous individual considers the life of his or her animal. So you can find a lot of very powerful teachings that I believe point very strongly to vegetarianism as the ideal diet for Jews and really for everybody else today. Okay. All right. And when you, let me just ask, kind of extending this out and, and maybe looking forward into 2006, when you are um, speaking with people uh, of other faiths and, and trying to kind of create bridges across their uh what is, what is the, I mean, obviously you're not going to be constantly citing the prophecy of Isaiah to mm -hmm. uh, everybody, but um, are, I assume that you are, you've uh, done a lot of research into other faiths, and uh, you mentioned that they all seem to have at their core this uh, this compassion to them. Is there is there anything else that, uh, uh, anything more specific or... Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to get out here, but is there anything? Reach uh, out to religious communities. That, uh, yeah, well, that's that would be one way of putting it. Well, my basic uh, thesis is that number one, unfortunately, the world today is threatened as perhaps never before. Now, it's when you realize the effects of global warming. You know, some of the reports again, cold ice caps are melting, glaciers are melting. We've seen the tremendous severity of the hurricanes recently. You know, with the, terrible things that happened in New Orleans and right. in other areas and so many of them and and uh, heat waves in some areas, flooding in other areas. There's just so many signs of this. So the world is threatened in many ways and many things have to be done about it. But the animal-based diets is something that is usually neglected. People don't realize how important this is. As I said, we talk about 50 billion farmed animals. And, for example, 70% of the grain in the U.S. and almost 40% of the grain produced worldwide is fed to these animals destined for slaughter means you need a lot of water. Oh, yeah. You take as much as 14 times as much water on an animal-based diet than on a vegan or no animal products at all kind of diet. So at a time when the aquifers are shrinking, some rivers are not even flowing all the way to the sea, they're drying up. Uh, and it's projected that at least half the world's people, they live in regions chronically short of water by the middle of the century. That could be so wasteful in that. And then, of course, you need far more energy in an animal-based diet for the irrigation pumps and for the refrigeration and uh, the shipping right. and all kinds of things. And, and uh, so it's wasteful there. And, um, you know, the time of widespread hunger, water shortages, species disappearing, I and mean, we're destroying the tropical rainforests that are so important for our weather and all, as I said, to save a nickel and a fast food hamburger. It's just, to me, it's a kind of insanity, and we haven't even mentioned 
uh, too much, at least, in negative health effects. There was like uh, an epidemic of disease out there. We're spending a fortune on it at a time when our budget deficits are soaring. And a major part of that is trying to cure diseases that we could prevent uh, a good number of them and even reverse some if people move toward a, you know, a plant-based diet. But these are all, um, they seem very uh, practical kind of issues. Is there, I mean, obviously when you think about them, they all have a moral kind of component to them, but when you're when you're uh, speaking with other religious leaders, is it is it simply about just educating them about these facts, or is there um, is there a common kind of uh, moral imperative that you can appeal to? Right. Well, it's the facts, but I put it that there are six Jewish mandates, but I can say religious mandates in general that point to vegetarianism because in every case. Uh, we have mandates to be like uh, guardians of the earth. You know, people point to uh, we give them dominion, but that's usually interpreted as responsible stewardship. Right. And if you look at verse 215 in Genesis, it says that uh, human beings were put in the garden of Eden to work the land, but also to guard it. Mm -hmm. So we're to be guardians of the earth, we're to be co-workers with God in protecting the environment. So what I'm trying to do is show that these are religious mandates. That if somebody takes religion seriously, they should be involved in this. And of course, there's many teachings about helping the needy, the poor, the hungry. And when people are starving and you're feeding 70% of the grain to animals, right. it's so wasteful because, as we know, every one of us is going to be eating a fair amount of food, say, for the next few months, and yet our weight stays roughly the same because we need that food for everyday activities, etc. So the same thing with animals, even though they're put in close confined spaces, prevented from exercising to try to fatten them up as much as possible, you still, as we said before, you need far, far more grain than you would uh, on a plant-based diet right. and all that. So it's very wasteful. So these are mandates to help the hungry mm -hmm. to conserve resources there, too, because God has given us enough resources, but... You're wasting the water, the energy, the land, all kinds of agricultural resources. So this is why, uh, thank God, we don't have to start any new religion. It's all based very strongly on our religions. Mm -hmm. So we have to challenge people to really put our religions into practice and not just go through emotions and say, well, Sundays we'll go to church and next Sunday we'll go or whatever, but without what really does God want us to do uh, in, in, in the case of a fractured world today? You know, there's a Hebrew term called tikkun olam, which means to repair or heal or positively transform the world. And that is essential, and I think that has to become like uh, a focal point of religious life today. And we need the ritual, but we also have to see how can we apply religious teachings in shifting the world to a far more sustainable path. Right. All right. Well, it uh, it sounds like uh, you have your work cut out for you there, if only because uh, it it's, makes so much sense logically, but uh, so far people aren't... Uh, quite thinking along these uh, these kind of clear lines, but uh, you're going to be working on that through uh, 2006 uh, with the... Uh, and beyond, yeah. At, well, of course. Yeah. And uh, I wish you great uh, success with that, and uh, I wish you great health, of course, and, uh, and thanks very much for joining us on VegCast. Well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, hope some of the listeners will join in the essential struggle to, in effect, save the world. I hope so, too. All right, well, thank you, Richard Schwartz. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, and you can check out many of Richard Schwartz's writings uh, in our show notes over at VegCast.com. But now we're going to go over to San Jose and back to last month for a report from a single street in San Jose. Take it away, Vance. Ah, yes. The dulcet tones of birds chirping. 
tells us to cross Second Street uh, because that was not birds chirping, it was the signal. I'm assuming the signal to let blind people know to cross, uh, which many of these streets have. Uh, we're on Santa Clara Street in San Jose, California. Uh, where it is a balmy 75, just about, degrees. Very nice weather for early, very early November. Um, and uh, the streets have these signals, many of them anyway, along Santa Clara Street do. Uh, the intersections have these signals crossing Santa Clara Street. You get that cuckoo sound. And then uh, when you're ready to go further down Santa Clara Street, crossing the numbered streets, you have the words chirping. Let's see if we get that again. So I'm recording this on Santa Clara Street because I've been up and down it a few times. I'm here in San Jose for a non-veg cast related event and we spent some time wandering up and down here and found uh, while it does not seem to be threatening to give our uh, vegan restaurant challenge too much of a run for its money uh, in terms of finding four vegan restaurants within five minutes walking distance of each other. There are a good many uh, vegetarian restaurants right kind of in a row on this, this street several blocks apart. So uh, I'm not going to do the shtick where I go from one to the other. They're not, they're more than five minutes apart for one thing. Uh, for another, they're not all vegan. Uh, but we will be stopping in at uh, the one which is unassailably, unabashedly vegan. And uh, seeing what's going on there. Um, we're passing City Hall right now, and here's water trickling. It's a big uh, water display here. Um, and the place we're going to stop in at is Good Karma, where I had supper last night. Uh, again, uh, remarkably cheap and also very good. So we'll be coming up to that in a moment. And... I will turn this back on when we are there. All right, well, here we are in Good Farm. Um, can I get uh, an order of barbecue drumsticks? Yeah, barbecue drumsticks and one dollar for each. Okay, mm. can I get uh, three of them then? What? Three drumsticks. Three drumsticks and three dollars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All four. That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. Can I just ask you one question? How long have you been here? Um, we opened <laughs> and visited in uh, three years. And, uh, three, years three years ago? Seven months. Three years seven, seven months. months. Okay. Well, that's very exact. Well, good luck and good karma to you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right, thanks. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Thanks. Okay. Well, that was not the greatest success in that the, uh, the guy that I talked to last night, who thought he would be there around this time, which is when I could get there, uh, was out there, so he is the more uh, thoroughly English-speaking half of a husband and wife duo that started Good Karma. Um, but that's just one of many of the uh, vegetarian options here. And one thing I wanted to mention, one thing I wanted to mention about San Jose is uh, that, at least from the parts that I've walked around, now there is a university right near here, which is probably part of it, but uh, even outside of that, just walking around the streets, you'll see a lot of uh, 
different ethnic restaurants and uh, combinations of ethnicities. Um, and you'll also see people advertising uh, in their windows vegetarian options. Uh, plenty of places that aren't vegetarian at all, uh, like Mexican food, they'll say vegetarian burritos. Uh, there's all kinds of different places and combinations of places around here. I hope that uh, Philadelphia will follow suit with that. I mean, we do have, we are number one when it comes to the vegan restaurant challenge, but outside of that and outside of that one area, there is not a great uh, penetration of uh, vegetarianism as a consistent option uh, for people. So hopefully that's going to change. Well, so hopefully that will improve as time goes by. So that's just a little taste of this corner of San Jose, Santa Clara Street. Uh, and I guess I will sign off for now. Uh, this is your roving correspondent for VegCast. Signing off. Back to you, Vance. Thank you, and I'll throw it right over to Voice Altered Vance as it's time for our science fact. That's right, it's going to be a quick science fact uh, for this holiday VegCast. A holiday science fact uh, about cranberries. I wanted to remind you that cranberries have numerous health benefits, and recently uh, one of the ones uh, that has come to the fore is the cranberries boost good cholesterol, according to recent clinical results conducted at the University of Laval in Quebec City, Quebec. A daily serving of uh, cranberry juice may improve circulation by increasing the level of HDL, good cholesterol, by 8% and by acting as a powerful antioxidant. Uh, Dr. Charles Kouya, the lead researcher of the study and a professor at the University of Laval, uh, said the results were very promising, suggesting a cardiovascular benefit uh, as a result of significant increases of HDL and uh, saying that that is imperative to overall heart health since it actually helps to sweep away LDL or bad cholesterol, which can clog arteries. Uh, the article goes on to mention that the anti-stick power of cranberry against the bacteria causing urinary tract infections is well known. And the same mechanism also shows promise now against various bacteria responsible for stomach ulcers and gum disease. So, uh, this particular uh, research, of course, you will not be shocked to find out, was funded by uh, the cranberry juice cocktail people. However, there's no reason you shouldn't take this as an excuse to load up on cranberry sauce this holiday season uh, and when you do I hope you'll look back and say hey thank you very much VegCast for providing that science fact
Bon Humbug is with Free the Reindeer here on VegCast, a song of my own with a different band. I thought that would be appropriate for the holiday show. Uh, it's one of the few Bon Humbugs songs that actually deals with animal rights activism and, of course, uh, is a little cautionary tale on the law of unintended consequences. I hope uh, you enjoyed that and took it in the spirit that it was meant. Well, we're coming to the end now of this holiday edition of VegCast. I hope you and yours are all enjoying uh, whatever form of winter holiday uh, you have come to know and love. And I just wanted to put in one more happy note 
that the restaurant that many of us in Philadelphia know as the best place in the entire region, perhaps on the East Coast itself, uh, for vegetarian and vegan fine dining, Horizons Cafe in Willow Grove is now going to be opening in Philadelphia. It's official. Uh, they will be opening at the end of January or the beginning of February, uh, right downtown practically, right off of South Street, 7th and South. So we'll watch uh, to see what happens there and uh, perhaps have a future report on uh, the latest happenings with Horizons. And if you think that I'm making a big deal out of uh, one little restaurant, then you have not eaten at Horizons. As somebody uh, once put it to me, uh, when, who is not a vegetarian, he sometimes goes there and eats, and the thought occurs to him, why do I need to eat meat again? Uh, and so far it has not uh, turned him vegetarian, but the restaurant does uh, make a strong case for uh, vegan and vegetarian food being just as good, just as tasty, and just as mind-alteringly delicious as anything that anyone can come up with using animal products. So uh, let's stay tuned and uh, hopefully have more on that later. But for now... Wrapping up this episode of VegCast. So, thanks to Richard Schwartz for uh, talking with us. Thanks to Kyle Vincent for getting the uh, MP3, uh, Reggie the Veggie, off to me. And uh, thanks for Bot and the Humbugs letting us play Free the Reindeer. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading us. Please uh, check us out at iTunes and subscribe at VegCast.com where you'll find the show notes for this episode. And that's about it for this time. I'm Vance, your host, signing off for this year. See you next year. Until then, get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.